0: All right, welcome to the next episode of the Radical Parenting Podcast. This week, I'm joined by my friend Laura Turley, and we're going to review a book called *The Explosive Child* by uh, what's his name? Green.
1: Yeah, Green. I don't actually remember his surname.
0: Ross Green. So, um, Laura, why don't you, before we get started, just quickly introduce yourself and, and,
1: and your daughter. Yeah, I, could, I actually did ask her if she wanted to take part in this, and she was like, oh. So, yeah, I'm Laura Turley. I'm uh, an integrative therapist um, and a Radical Honesty certified trainer. Um, I live in the UK, in the southwest of the UK, and I've been a parent for about 13, almost 14 years. My daughter's almost 14 now um and she has Asperger's um she was diagnosed um with Asperger's when she was around six years old um and it was a bit of a shock to us at the time and uh a lot of my kind of like um ideas of what a parent was going to be being a parent was going to be like kind of um changed a lot after we figured out what was going on with her um, and the reason I picked this book is because it was incredibly helpful to me when she was about six or seven years old and has continued to be.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and tell me your daughter's name. Her name's Faye. Faye. With an E. With an E at the end.
1: She asked me to say that.
0: Cool. Do you have the book in front of you right now?
1: I do. I've got my, um my Kindle copy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I forgot to bring my copy. Um, and I mainly want you to talk. I mean, you, yeah, this is not an area I'm at all an expert in. Um, but, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, um, Kara and I did an episode, uh, on children's books. And I wanted to tell you a little story about that. So when my, when my, uh, first nephew was born, <clears throat> I just got so excited about parenting and started reading parenting books. And, and, um, I've since had, uh, now three nephews and niece and then my own son. um, and uh, I I was looking for books that really taught the literacy of like facial expression and and um, and I I you know I was raised in part watching Star Trek: The Next Generation and I thought like a child that had like the skills of like a Deanna Troy would would have like a real leg up in the world. I also thought like I don't really want to like say no to my kid very much. I don't want to do much like you know, punishment and discipline and that sort of thing. And that teaching my child the skills of, of empathy would give them their own moral compass and prevent me from really ever having to say no, I could just redirect like, well, how do you think, you know, I, I, I did a lot of like evaluation of when we do say no. And, and most of the time it's, it's, it's uh, either unnecessary or, or it's because uh, our children are kind of failing to take into account other people's perspectives or needs. Mm-hmm. And so I thought just like this ongoing study of this would be cool. So I searched for a bunch of books and so many of them had like moralism built into it. And this is before I was involved with radical honesty, but I wasn't a fan of like, this is good and this is bad. Um, Just mainly like we have those skills. We know what it feels like to feel bad in our body. And we don't generally then want other people to feel that way. And all the books that ended up being good were all aimed at autistic kids um, and kids on the, on, uh, with Asperger's or on the spectrum are phrasing or phrasing.
1: Non-neurotypical. Oh. Yeah,
0: non-neurotypical. Uh, and so I bought this whole set of books, every book by this woman, Sarah Medina. And uh, it wasn't that much. It was like a couple hundred bucks maybe for every book. And it starts at really young ages with feelings that, that young kids can understand and... Um, and then at the end, it has actual pictures uh, advised from Paul Ekman and the facial action coding system. So kids can like pick out these like minute, you know, facial expressions, whatever. Um, my sister ended up getting rid of those books. I don't know exactly why. And now they're all out of print. So now they're like, they cost anywhere from like 20 to $100 per, per book. And there's like 40 of them. So I've been like scouring eBay and whatnot to find them because they're still my favorite books on the subject. The point is, is that um, so much of the like the best books for that, including ones about being in touch with your body are all aimed at kids with Asperger's. And last week, uh, Karen, and I did an episode about um, mainly about uh, raising blind children or vision impaired children. And again, just all the lessons are just so useful. So this, my point is this episode isn't really just for parents of um, children with the children on the spectrum, this is, you know, I think everything I read in this book, I really appreciate you recommending it to me. Everything I read is so valuable for any parent.
1: Yeah, and I, my senses as well, like having reread it. And yeah, I was, I was smiling so much rereading it yesterday because I imagine it's really, really influenced like the way that I, I parent, like, you know, and this is like six, seven years later, and then I'll tell you about something that happened this week, which was just absolutely typical of the kind of thing that, that was described in the book. But my sense, like rereading it, was yeah, it's exactly, it's, it's, it's really sound like advice for kind of like anyone who has a kid who, who they're kind of in conflict with, you know, any kind of conflict. But I mean, I guess a lot of the examples they give a, a, of a kid sort of between the ages of about sort of like 11 to 13 kind of thing, a lot of the, a lot of the examples are given. Um, with older kids but the the kind of technique that they teach like this sort of three-step tech technique I was using with Faye when she was six six or seven years old and it worked brilliantly it was like a freaking charm you know and one yeah. of the things I, I noticed so much when I was rereading it is I, st- I read this book before I trained like to be a therapist and so much of what it teaches is what I was taught as a therapist like mm-hmm. about reflective like listening and kind of like um, you know that that technique of of like um just reflecting back like the phrases that people are saying with this this sense of like if you do that you have a without really understanding why you have a sense that you're being heard and you're being seen and and listened to and really it's it's just the simplest thing in the world to just reflect back what it is that you're hearing um and a lot of the a lot of the things, which were so surprising to me, a lot of the things that they talk about are, are really kind of rooted in the stuff that we learn, like in radical mm-hmm. honesty, about um listening without being attached to like an idea of, of what's actually going on, you know, is something that I was taught like when I was training, but also like absolutely we teach in workshops, you know, like how do you how do you listen to someone and talk to someone without being attached to the idea that I know what's going on with you, you know, I understand mm-hmm. already like what the problem is it's like that separation between like noticing and imagining again and mm-hmm. they talk about that a lot in the book as well which again i was smiling thinking oh shit. Yeah, they talk a lot about like noticing and kind of observing like without judgment like this is what i see mm-hmm. um and, and what does that mean for you kind of thing yeah which was yeah so so cool like to reread all that stuff and realize actually yeah this was informing me like long before i i started training even you know.
0: yeah so to give a little context, that Laura's form of, of therapy and 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 everything she and I have studied together with radical honesty, isn't about psychoanalysis. Um, you sometimes we can't help but but do a little bit of it in our mind, but at the very least. Uh, the training is to yeah, hold that, hold those analyses really lightly, uh, mm-hmm. show your noticings, objective noticings. sure, anything you're imagining or analyzing based on that noticing, but hold those imaginings um, lightly. So, yeah, I mean, that's all what you said, but for those who need a little bit of context. Yeah. Before we jump into the book, I wanted to share. So I got a hard copy, which is great—a used book that I ordered from from Amazon because it's not it's not on tape. I usually listen on tape, but I read this mm-hmm. one, <clears throat> and I loved that it was owned by a parent. I loved reading their little notes in the margins. Oh, hey, right, I loved nice. I loved seeing what they were highlighting, and yeah, I just I just really loved it. I just imagined this this parent reading this, and I don't know. It's just it's all, it's also touching and the stories in it are so touching and just this desire to, to want the best for your, for your kid. And Mm -hmm. that's what this book's about, but the opening, uh, before even the, so I was reading the fifth edition. I think there's, I think there's been one edition since then, but there was a quote from Aristotle that I want to, that I want to share, um, as part of the, just like before even the preface or, Mm -hmm. or prologue or whatever, it says anyone can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, that is not easy. I wrote down for us to pause for a second. I just want people to be able to think about that. Anyone can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, this is not easy. Have you ever heard that before?
1: No, I haven't. And I don't yeah. think I even read the intro when I read the book. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's awesome, isn't it? Aristotle. That's a long time ago. <laughs> this is like all that Brad Blanton teaches. This is like, we didn't really need him. We just needed this Aristotle, <laughs> just
1: needed Aristotle
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get into that too much. But when I first was getting into radical honesty, I read a, I read a study um about uh, catharsis therapy kind of approach where they were kind of arguing and 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 concluding through data that that catharsis therapy and letting people like express their anger can just um elevate the anger um as opposed to letting it like subside and so it was this study where they where they yeah where they were measuring people's feelings of anger and encouraging them to express it whatever um and I shared that study with Brad Blanton because Brad has a process that is really like what Aristotle's talking about here. It's, mm-hmm. it's about getting over fully experiencing your anger when it comes up so that you can get over it. And, and yeah, that was essentially his response it was like, this isn't just, this isn't catharsis. This is about, this is about re grounding yourself in what in reality and what actually mm-hmm. happened, distinguishing your stories from, from the actions that happened getting in touch with just reality just kind of like stuff you can't rage against um and just yeah radical honesty is that exercise is about being angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the Mm -hmm. right purpose and in the the right way too that's really important yeah Mm -hmm. it's often we don't even know how how angry we are or what we're angry at and So, yeah, that's partly what this book is about. So let's just jump into it. And thank you again for introducing me to it.
1: Yeah, I I kind of like I went through my notes um, because it's my Kindle copy that I've got. And I obviously it's great because you highlight sections, don't you? But I've also got a paper copy, which I I don't have now, which I wrote a lot of handwritten notes when I had it. Um, But, yeah, when I I looked back through it, the part that I jumped to like straight away, I guess, was was. Yeah, I jumped into quite a few of the little um, scenarios, kind of like the breakdown scenarios, but I jumped to the part like um, that he calls Plan B, which is basically where he talks about like breaking down like the three step process, because Mm -hmm. that that was the part that that I remembered most clearly, you know, I guess when I read the book, and I remember vividly reading that that part of the book sat at a kitchen table after I dropped Faye off from school one morning and she was going through a really really tough time at school and I was being called in almost every day by a headmaster being told to come and pick her up because she'd hit someone she'd done something violent in class and I was reading that chapter and I started crying like because I just thought, oh my God, you know, I've just been doing everything completely wrongly. And I I couldn't wait for her to get out of school so I could try <laughs> what they described. And I thought she she was literally at school just around the corner. And when she came home from school like a couple of hours later, she sat at the table and she was really angry and she would barely speak. And I just started doing what he was describing there. Like mm-hmm. I started with that first step and I actually said like so yeah um so I noticed that you've been kind of um hitting like other kids at school, like, what's up with that? <laughs> like, she said it in a, in a way where I wasn't like, there was no sense of kind of like anger or like judgment because I was just curious, you know, what's gonna happen if I, if I ask her this question, like in the way that I asked. And I remember she was just like playing with her food or something and she just started talking. Like she started telling me like what, what had been happening. And it was absolutely miraculous. Like I remember thinking like, why have I never thought of this before you know it's like just ask the question without judgment and without an agenda in mind of like we're going to solve this problem you know Mm -hmm. Um, and then I just started like reflecting back what she was saying and she just carried on talking and I mean bear bear in mind until then she was barely like speaking to us she was just so mad like about going to school every day she'd come home from school she wouldn't speak she'd just go straight to her room and um and suddenly I was having these amazing like conversations with her where she was telling me what was going on and then I was kind of and I think I actually got all the way to the third step which was which is like um the invitation like oh what are we you know how are we going to solve this like mm-hmm. and I, the thing that amazed me was she had ideas you know mm-hmm. like, of what yeah. we could do yeah.
0: awesome so before we get too deep into them will you will you just share those those three steps for those who heard you reference them but might not have hooked on to the three steps
1: Yeah. So the the first step is what he calls like the empathy step, Mm -hmm. um, which is, yeah, the step where you, where you kind of, you you talk about the thing that you want to talk about. So like whatever it is that that the issue is that that has been like, and we need to just pick one, you know, in that instance, you know, because if you're having lots of issues with a kid, you have to pick something. So his, his kind of examples are that are things like, I know it's like um, you're having trouble clearing up your room. You know, and the thing about the, the kind of empathy step is it has to be like an observation mm-hmm. um, and it has to be something that you can kind of observe. So you have to say mm-hmm. like, you know, something that you've actually seen happen and then you have to and ask as like,
0: specific as possible too so not just, just yeah, like yeah. you've been having troubles at school but like you yeah, specifically yeah. hit like someone you seem
1: really angry i mean that's yeah. such a sort of general thing so i i guess he, he doesn't say like he doesn't actually say to sort of like um pick something that's observable like with your eyes and, or mm-hmm. you're with your senses but i mean i guess that's what i did because it seemed um the way to go about it um and then and then you ask kind of clarifying like questions about like what that is you know so like if I have a question like um yeah what's what's up with the fact that you know you're you're hitting hitting kids in school which is what my question was um and she started saying oh well, I think she said something like um are oh, they mean to me or something mm-hmm. oh, they're mean to me and they say mean things to me and I was like okay so oh they say mean things to you like oh she'd never told me that before and I was like oh okay you never told me that like what sort of things do they say you know Mm -hmm. And, and so all of that kind of like that first step is like trying to work out exactly what it is that's going on for the kid and it's about like information gathering like you know give I need all the information that I can get about this thing that's happening but keeping in mind all the time that I'm not coming up with a solution, I'm not coming up with a fix, I'm just gathering information about what it is that's going on. And they're doing that by just asking like open questions, um, but also like um, like asking um, questions that kind of reflect back what it is that they're saying, so that they know that you're kind of listening as you're gathering information. You're not, they, he calls it drilling, which I think is quite a, a weird phrase because it sounds like you're drilling them for information. that is essentially what you're doing you're kind of drilling down Mm -hmm. through the initial statement and kind of figuring out what it is that's actually going on like with the specifics of what's going on and then two (laughs) and then two yeah he calls he calls step two define the problem um and i guess like i think of like define the problem as kind of um that's your opportunity then to say what it is that, that that is the issue like what's the problem mm-hmm. because obviously like the fact that she was hitting kids in school was was a problem yeah. because she was getting sent home from school but also mm-hmm. the thing that I was scaring myself about a lot was other kids hated her they thought she was this like violent bully um, so defining the problem is kind of like talking about you know what's what's underneath this thing that I'm worried about um, and the way that he describes like getting into that is to say like the thing is <laughs> the mm-hmm. thing is so like how how the thing kind of
0: is this? you're having difficulty with right
1: yeah so to kind of talk about it in a way where you're not you're not saying like again it's not accusatory it's not like this this is a problem and you need to sort sort mm-hmm. your crap out you know it's like um here's the thing you know it's like if you continue to hit kids like i i'm scared that you know you no one will like you um or i'm scared that you know you're um you'll get sent home from school and maybe then you know you'll get in trouble you know or we'll get in trouble and it's like it's kind of like picking apart what the actual problem is like underneath mm-hmm. the that's happening which he kind of talks about as being your your kind of opportunity to kind of let them know it from your perspective you know this is this is why i'm upset about it you know this is why i'm we're even talking about it. You know? um which I thought was like at the time she was quite small when I did that so it was quite um it was quite a challenge for me to kind of explain to her what it was that I was worried about but I think it was also really helpful to me because on the surface what I was worried about was getting in trouble like you know the fact that I was a or being judged as a bad parent or something like that Um, but actually underneath it was this other fear of like oh you know she won't be liked
0: it's gonna be hard on her yeah and then the third sorry i didn't want to go into so much detail with each of them Uh,
1: So yeah the the third step is what he calls like the invitation so that's that's the part where you talk to them about like well how are we going to solve this Mm-hmm. But it's but it's collaborative rather than being like a kind of like, okay, so I've heard what you said and now here's the solution. Here's the solution. Yeah. So his sense is kind of like, um, how do you how do you collaborate with your kid, like in terms of actually working out what the solution is? Because the idea being like if they can come up with like an idea, because of course they're the one that's involved, so they're best informed, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um that they're more likely to actually do something <laughs> that you're talking about doing. Um, But also that this is the thing I discovered is kids have really good ideas. She had really good ideas about what we could do. Um, And she also suggested a few things that were crazy. Like I say crazy, but she said, like, I don't I just want to be homeschooled, you know, or something like that. I could be homeschooled. And I was like, hmm but that did actually give me pause. So I thought like, could she be homeschooled? And, mm-hmm. and so I was like, well, let's think about that. You know, maybe that's a possibility. And just the fact that we were talking about it um, I think was really big for her, you know, cause yeah. she felt listened to. Him.
0: And yeah, I mean the idea like with so many of the books that we review for this podcast is just this honoring of your child. And honestly, even if it's six, she wasn't great at problem solving. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, because she hasn't had a lot of practice at this, and after enough, you know, years of of doing this with her patiently, and and you listening, and you both coming up with ideas, and maybe some of yours are a little better than some of hers, she'll start kind of thinking about some of the things that it takes to 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 problem solve better.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, and they they describe the book as being for kids that have those have a deficiency in problem solving and kids who become more frustrated more often than normal. Um, And I, I, when I was reading this, I was thinking about my role, not as only as a parent, but, um, but just, I think I'm often more frustrated more often than normal, you know? And I think my father was more frustrated more often than normal. And I think my sister is more, more frustrated more often than normal. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I was just, I was really interested in this book from a lot of different angles. Um, and everything I'm doing with, with, you know, with this podcast and reading these books, it's just like, it's not just about giving my child the best childhood they can, they can have. It's about almost using my child and my fatherhood as a crutch to be practicing being who and how I want to be yeah there's really there's really nothing in this book that I wouldn't want to do anyway, even if I wasn't a father, you know
1: yeah, I agree, and yeah i like i say i was I was really surprised, <laughs> given how long ago I read it yeah. how how much kind of of the stuff it brought up that I'd learned like in radical honesty, but also learned in my training and like it just seems like common sense you know? yeah. it's just really common sense, but it somehow needed it needed him to write it down in the way that he did for me to kind of like understand, Oh, this is what it looks like. You know?
0: yeah. yeah. So my mom became her second, third career was uh, a psychotherapist. So that was her last career. Um, now she's retired and she's suffering from Alzheimer's. Um, but I had asked her if I, if she thought I was kind of like that as a kid, like if I was easily frustrated and, and whatever, and, She said, no, not at all. And I honestly think it's possible that with me, I've become more, I've mirrored these behaviors more like recently as I've just gone through tough times and struggles. And, you know, I had this mom who's kind of my rock all my life. And when she started deteriorating mentally I think I started reacting more and more to like changed plans and instability and people not doing what they say and and all of that, because like this kind of like rock foundation had been shaken. So when people let me down in some way or don't do what they say they're going to do, it's not just that issue. It's reminding me of how upset I am that my mom is dying and this person that I've always been able to rely on, I can't rely on anymore. So again, it's not just for, uh, kids on the spectrum.
1: Mm.
0: Um, I want to pull up another quote from the book. Um, this is actually again in the preface, so I still haven't even gotten into the book with my part, but, but I won't pull you back too much more, but she just says that there's never been a better time to be living or working with a behaviorally challenging child. There's lots of research revealing new ways to help our children. Um, I'm skipping ahead, but then she says, that's the good news. The bad news is that the new lenses can take some getting used to the strategies in this book can be hard to implement early on, May be different from the ones you've been using and may represent a departure from the way you were parented. So you'll need an open mind there too, along with some patience for yourself and your child as you're practicing new ways of interacting and solving problems together. And I like that too. I I like that last part about patience with yourself and your child and you don't have to do this, but, but after I'd read that, I, I, I thought of asking you for examples of, of when you were really proud of when you kind of put this kind of work into practice and then and then maybe modeling, forgiving yourself for, for times when you fail to do that. You don't have to do that. We can, we can just keep talking about the book, whatever you prefer.
1: When you asked that, I thought that I remembered like um, a time definitely when when before I started reading the book, when Faye would like lose her temper, and she would get so furiously angry and she would like hit, hit me or yell at me or throw stuff at me. And I would always say the same thing. I'd always say, like, you need to go to your room until you calm down. I'd say, like, you need to go to your room until ca- you calm down. And I don't honestly know where I got that idea from. I was just like, seemed to be something that parents told their kids, like, when their kids got violent. And I, I think I remember my dad saying it to, to my brother um but I remember I remember like feeling mad when she threw stuff at me or angry or just like furiously angry and it felt so like self-righteous to say to her you need to go to a room to like calm down and she'd go to a room and she'd wreck her room like she she rip stuff off the walls she she'd smash it up you know all over the place and I'd go up and I'd see her room in this mess and I'd of course be furious you know and um and I remember feeling like when after I read that book, like I, I looked back at those times and I thought, how, what the hell was I thinking? You know, thinking that that was in any way like a helpful kind of like way to be with her when she was mad rather than talk to her, but not even notice my own anger, you know, um, and be really, I was just really embarrassed when I read it because I thought like, where, where have I got these ideas from that that's like how you deal with anger is you tell a child to take it somewhere else like mm-hmm. uh, you're not safe like basically I was saying you're not safe with me your anger's not safe with me I mm-hmm. don't feel safe therefore you're not safe and you small child go away and be by yourself with your anger you know mm-hmm. um, and I even now when I think about it I feel like sad I remember like going up to her room and seeing her sitting on the floor with her face all red and hot and angry and all this stuff all the stuff that she loved like wrecked all just because I didn't I didn't think to just sit with her and be with her even when she was angry
0: yeah well I definitely want parents as they read these books and as they listen to this stuff to have compassion for themselves not only for times like that before you kind of knew a better way to do it
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but even after you know even when you do know a better way to do it you know I mean I know you I I imagine you're an amazing mom and I think we all do our best with what we've got and that goes for our kids for sure. They do the best with what they've got. And then for us as parents. So, uh, yeah, I liked that part of the intro, just saying we need to have patience with ourselves too. We're not going to just flip a switch and and build these new habits overnight. We're going to, we're going to have to practice them and have some compassion for ourselves when we, when we fail. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the brain science too, because she talks about, about brain science kind of like coming further since she's read it. And I know you and I have been looking a little bit into like polyvagal theory and, and a little bit of like trauma informed therapy. And um, so I just want to say that like when we get triggered as parents or kids, the first step you mentioned is this kind of, understanding curiosity peace, and when we get angry when we get triggered a part of our brain is activated that isn't really capable of curiosity and understanding and anybody you've heard about like a, a hijack or or you know lizard brain hijack or whatever um you learn that the that that whole part of your brain the hypothalamus pituitary amygdala when it's activated, it has like a primacy over your frontal lobe and your prefrontal cortex. It has superiority. <laughs> it, it pulls rank over the rest of your brain. Mm-hmm. And um, the parts of your brain that are capable of compassion and rational thinking and stuff, some awesome recent brain science too is that it often goes into gear coming up with justifications for the decision that your, that your lizard brain made. It doesn't go into gear correcting or contradicting that and saying, Oh, maybe this isn't a threat like a tiger that I need to run from or fight or, or, or freeze about it comes up with rational thinking that justifies that, that lizard brain response. So um, yeah, green suggests the first step is understanding and a lot of the work that, that Laura and I do with radical honesty are a step even before that step of understanding, which is just like, what does it take for you to prime your brain, to prepare your mind for understanding in the face of your own reactivity? I just think it's such a Jedi like skill to like, when your kid's upset about something else, even when they're like hitting someone else and you feel so shocked and ashamed or whatever, or scared most of us can handle that way better than when it's all our fault you know our kid is suffering and it's all because we're a horrible person and a horrible parent and uh it's a it takes a jedi to like be able to to respond to that in the same way we can respond when our kid is upset at something we aren't taking personally and it isn't pushing all of our own buttons um, and yeah, I just want people to understand that, like, the brain piece—it's not like it's not your fault. It's—it's it's how our brain. It's there are good reasons why the amygdala has primacy over your prefrontal cortex, yeah. and but it doesn't usually work out so great <laughs> when, when you're not being chased by a tiger or something like that. Mm
1: one thing i will say about about her like and I, I can only talk about her as like an individual like although i do i have a lot of like i've had and have a lot of clients um who have asperges i work with quite a lot of people that have asperges um because i love working with people who have asperges and so i make a point of telling people that i'm interested like in working with with people on the spectrum um and one of the things that that I've noticed about her is that she is very much in kind of like contact with all of her her like sensations and with her body at all times Mm that she's not that great at describing it. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. like in terms of like, you know, the actual kind of like describing words that we use to describe sensations, but she's absolutely in contact with her body. And one of the ways that I I think of, of, of as an example of that is that she eats like, only when she's hungry. <laughs> mm. She literally will only eat when she's hungry and will stop as soon as she's full, you know. And that's not something I've ever taught her or said to her, you know, you need to do this or that. It's like she's just she's just so in tune with like what her body needs in terms of like nutrition, you know, that she'll eat and then just stop. Like um and like in terms of like Um, pain and um, feeling like physical sensations she's she's like extremely like um sensitive to to sensation and taste and smell which Mm. is you know partly to do with the fact that it's been suggested she has a little sensory processing disorder but as a result of that she's really highly attuned to like sensations of any kind like clothing you know like material and whatever's on her body but also like whatever's touching her body as well yeah so that for that reason I think it's made it a lot easier for me to kind of get her in touch with her sensations and talk about her sensations when she's upset or like you're describing like when that kind of brain lizard brain like kicks in it's like often what we'll do is like okay like what are you feeling now like in your body and she'll say like you know I can't like I like I can't breathe and she's taking like little little kind of breaths like so okay notice your breathing like notice your heart rate and things like that and she's she's really really good at getting in touch with that quickly and that's something I've noticed generally about a lot of the kids mm-hmm. the people that I work with who are on the autistic spectrum is they're very quick to understand what I mean when I say give me a sensation you know, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I find that really interesting
0: Yeah. The first person who ever asked me what I was feeling in my body and stuff was just a year or two before I went to my first radical honesty retreat. I went to see a therapist for my first time because of a breakup I had really struggled with. And I thought she was like, she might as well been talking about crystals or aromatherapy or something. I thought she was just totally out there. And I didn't, yeah, as we get older, we get out of touch with our body. We have this layer of interpretation in our minds. And I didn't even know what it meant to not be living in my head so it's definitely something kids are good at before we teach them to not not be good at it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um when you do that with her like asking about body sensations or any other like steps recommended in this book does it ever feel like kind of like stilted and like forced I was kind of wondering that because like when I get like really triggered especially around a kid, like I'm not going to do the same things I would usually do with radical honesty and stuff, ways of getting over my my anger that would involve them. Sometimes I like having just like some structure to fall fall back on with them. But I also know that they, you know, I wonder how they respond to something that doesn't feel really totally genuine.
1: I, I guess that was my sense when I was. <clears throat> when I was rereading it, was a lot of this stuff that I do with her. We've been doing it for so long; it does feel really natural. And I wouldn't ever say like, "Give me a sensation," like we do in red costume. And I say to her like, "What's going on now?" Like, you know. Mm-hmm. And she knows that. She knows that means like, what's going on in your body, not like mm-hmm. what's what's going on, you know. Mm-hmm. So like, what's going on now? And she'll say like, you know, or you know, I've got like a pain here, or like, you know, I've got a headache, or like. um yeah i can't breathe or something like that um, and my sense is like the language kind of gets integrated a little bit into kind of everything that you do um and a, a lot of the time i don't even ask now i mean she'll just say like
0: yeah mm. but at first as you build in that practice i imagine sometimes it's just going to feel a little forced and yeah that's yeah. kind of what building new habits is
1: yeah and that was i mean like i haven't talked about her dad at all but he had real issues like with this technique like when I started using it he thought it was a bit too like therapy speak um, and he was a little bit he was a bit resistant to her diagnosis initially he didn't believe that she had Asperger's I think he won't mind me saying that now <laughs> but he was a bit resistant to that idea and he was just like well it could be this it could be that you know? and I was saying well you know let's try this technique because it really seems to work and I tried to get him to read the book and he wouldn't read the book. And then, after about six months of like working with her, like using this technique, and she was so much calmer that he did still didn't read the book, but he did start to kind of say, So, what are we doing? Like, sort of like listening to what it was I was saying. And I caught him like quite a few times where I was coming in, and he was actually asking like those clarifying questions, like, Oh, I see. So, so you're having trouble like holding the pencil. Like, Mm -hmm. okay. So, what do you think would help with that kind of thing? And of course, like the proof's in the pudding, isn't it? As soon as you see that they're responding to you in this different way, and they're a lot kind of like happier and calmer, I mean, he saw straight away that it was all working. So he started using it too. But yeah, it was a kind of stealth technique with him, getting him to talk to her that way.
0: Yeah. I was reminded of, there's just this common theme in a lot of these books that we're selecting for this, which is again, just like really honoring your child. And I, I loved how much this book did that. It still does a little bit of like pulling rank. It doesn't mirror exactly what what the other books do. but uh, one question or one, one piece that really reminded me of, uh, of another book Karen and I just read was just saying like, you know, first that understanding, which I think like you said, radical honesty really helps with just focusing on separating what you're noticing from what you're imagining um, and building that understanding. That In a lot of the other books, they talk about sports casting, which is just kind of reflecting back in words what people are saying or doing or seem to be feeling or something like that. So a lot of that putting words to things in a way that's just reflecting and letting people know, letting your child know that they're being seen and heard. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved, too, that they said, like, instead of just, like, jumping to solutions, like at least question like is this expectation you have for your child actually that important to you like yeah, do they yeah. really need to keep their room that clean do they I really need like to... that
1: hierarchy kind of technique you use as well of saying like is this a is this a, a category a category b right. category c problem and yeah. like if it's category c it's like it's actually not that important and one yeah. of the examples he gives is brushing your teeth which made really me smile because there was something that came up in a workshop radical right, honesty workshop that there was a guy asking about his Like giving his kid instructions, and Brad said, "Like you know, well, how important is it for him to brush his teeth?" And this dad was like, "Well, very important." And Brad was like, "Is it though?" It is.
0: It is in the United States, but not in London. Not in UK. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, just, but yeah this this guy is german in actual fact but, um he won't mind me saying okay. but yeah the, the the point is like you know there are certain things that kind of is it, it what he says in the book basically is like pick your battles you know there are certain things which are just like they're going to really like ramp up the anger the tension and like if we're, what we're trying to do is build this new way of being together like some of these things can can be let slide you know um and yeah. and he talks about like that that sense of like parents kind of at war with that idea of like, you know, we can't let the kids like call the shots, but it's like, I'm calling the shot. I'm deciding what it is. That's actually a category C, category B, category E. And and do I need to, do I really need to pick like this battle right now? Mm -hmm. Or am I just gonna say, okay, (laughs) okay, we won't brush your teeth tonight, you know, but you need to brush them tomorrow. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. I have a question for you as a radical honesty, trainer and, and someone who's following this practice. So um, I love the problem solving process. And I love, you know, that it isn't unilateral, it isn't top down, it's like really collaborative, so Mm -hmm. that you're not really just focused on this issue at hand, you're focused on building this skill of problem solving Mm -hmm. with your child, um, and taking the patience and the extra time that it takes to do that. Um, But we've also you and I have learned in, in radical honesty, that often like, problem solving is sometimes just a way of of avoiding experiencing some experience and and when you design solutions on top of like unresolved resentment or anger the solutions can often be more about avoidance avoiding that sensation and so i just wanted to ask you if that's something you have it's something that i thought of when i was reading this but was curious with you as a parent how you how you how you honor the feeling and let your let Faye really experience her experience and you experience your experience so that when you get to the problem solving piece you're kind of maybe a little bit more over it or not just designing solutions that are avoided. yeah it's strange
1: when you are saying that I had a thought like I guess in a lot of ways, like me learning kind of like about radical honesty and the practice, and like being becoming a therapist and everything, is like one of the things I noticed about myself is I'm like way less reactive a lot than I was like ten years ago when she was like a little kid, you know, and that I guess my reactivity has lessened more and more like through my own practice and like what I do like for a living, um, and with her growing too, and it just doesn't bother me when she loses her shit, you know, and she really she gets that now i mean that, that thing i was describing to you when she was like six or seven when she got really mad and like threw stuff at me and i remember feeling like hot and angry and like i help all these stories about this make, makes me a terrible parent and i need to draw boundaries and like so many stories they're just not there anymore you know? mm. um and and she really picks up on that i mean you know you can't you can't fake like non-reaction can you you're either reactive and you're kind of like tamping it down and doing your best as a parent to look like oh this isn't bothering this isn't Mm -hmm. bothering me you know Mm -hmm. or you just genuinely are just easier with with the way that things go um and like one of the things that that changed a lot like after I started using this this technique was like I was really set on the idea of her fitting into that school and finding a way of being there and within a few weeks of reading that book, I was like, she doesn't need to be here. I, I need to find another school that suits her better. And right. I started to look around for a, a better school, like a better fit for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and up until that point, I had this very clear idea that she needed to change. And I guess that that's that's partly kind of me like relaxing as well, like along with reading this and like working with her. It's just like, yeah, all those expectations kind of got looked at and re-examined. And- mm-hmm. I don't
0: know if I answered that question. I don't know either. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, like you said, you just mainly said that yeah, you you tend to not be as reactive. So when you are doing problem solving, it's yeah. not just about avoiding the problem. And I imagine just in your work with Fay, you don't jump straight to the solution. You give her a chance to kind of like no experience her frustration or her upset or her anger.
1: Yeah, like she she still gets really frustrated. uh, She has very high standards like for herself. Um, And when she gets frustrated, like it comes out, you know, in in kind of like verbal ways or like she throws stuff or she'll like screw up her drawings or like, you know, um, but she kind of has learned to sort of witness that. You know, in, in a way that I didn't ever think she would, you know, where she just kind of like moves through it in a way that that just seems like really accepting of like right now I'm going to be mad about this, you know, and then I'm going to pick up stuff and I'll like, get on with it. But there's no sense of like shame attached to it, which is what I imagine there used to be that was yeah. coming up for me and she was reflecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I I think she like pr- she processes her in a really, really like healthy way a lot of the time. Um, and I hear her like swearing at the top of her voice (laughs) sometimes like some game that she's playing like you swear at the absolute top of her voice like and then i go in and i'll say what's up you know what's happening and she'll just go oh it's just this thing that just happened and she's just back to like playing the game you know Uh And that's the other thing, I guess, is like we—they don't really talk about much in the book—is that we've always been had this really kind of like open door policy to swearing in this house. He's like said to her, "You can use any word you want; we don't care." Just mm-hmm. like outside of this house, know that you'll probably be judged for doing it. And yeah. as a result, she doesn't really swear you know, mm-hmm. at all, mm-hmm. apart from that games Discord server. That's it.
0: Um, you know Kara, poor Bob, pretty well, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So I mean, one of Kara's challenges that's distinct from mine is like a lot of moms and a lot of parents, she'll self-sacrifice and kind of like ignore her needs and and boundaries or whatever to the level where then she kind of like snaps and and the pendulum has to kind of like swing back the other way instead of finding that kind of happy, happy medium. And In reading a lot of this, I was thinking, you know, like if this was a partner of yours or or a friend or a boyfriend, you would find a way to process it, get over it and still make the like rational choice Mm -hmm. of probably stepping away from that relationship. And I've been in one relationship with a partner who it wasn't bad, but she she described herself as as abusive. And I remember thinking, like, I'm a well-adjusted human. You know, I can handle this stuff and I can whatever. And it wasn't until. Like years later that I even realized the kind of damage that 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 did to me. And so I guess my question for you is like, how do you stay as a parent in a relationship with with a child that you're going to be with for the rest of your life? But but if anybody else was treating you that way, you you wouldn't you wouldn't stay in that relationship. And how do you stay in that and not have it damage you?
1: I guess it does. It does damage you. But, Not like that I think of the damage is just like it's um it's like the damage that an antique gets, you know that kind of adds to its age or something like okay. that it's just it's it's yeah, it's kind of knocked the corners of me um and and there have been a lot of things I've sacrificed um as a result of her being in my life, like, yeah, um and how how I stay in the kind of relationship with her apart from like the obvious you know which is just like unfathomable amounts of love that you have for like a a kid of your own that you've raised you know is is like just the I've just always been endlessly curious about people like Mm -hmm. uh, I mean everyone on planet earth and like she is one of the most fascinating creatures on earth she really is like Mm -hmm. from a very small like child she's absolutely fascinated me um and I'm not generally fascinated by children you know not not just because she's my kid she's she's a fascinating person you know Mm -hmm. um and everyone who meets us says the same thing like wow what a fascinating kid you know she's the way her brain works and the way that her kind of like um, her kind of mind jumps about is just like amazing to me. And I'm constantly like asking myself, like, how did I create this kid? You know, mm. it's just like, I don't know how I did it. And then I ask myself, how about, I, you know, did I, or did she just come into the world, like fully formed like this? Have I actually had any influence over who she is as a person? So yeah, it's like fascination, like curiosity, insane amounts of love. um Um, but mostly mostly just curiosity I think because I just want to know how she turns out she's just she's amazing
0: yeah yeah and how has it shifted how you relate to to other people that you see you know having outbursts or or kind of having difficulty with things
1: well I guess it's hard to differentiate between like how like having her and kind of dealing with her like issues and like everything that I've learned like in yeah. terms of being a therapist because because I don't think that stuff can be pulled apart. Is it um I'm always just really curious now when people get mad and angry and sad. And actually I have to be careful a lot of the time is that I imagine like my my kind of go-to place is always like what's going on for them. And often it's what the person who's being attacked or is having the anger or directed at needs is for me to say this is not okay, you know. Um, mm-hmm. but a lot of the time with clients I'm always like curious like what's going on with this person in your life who's who's mad at you your kid who's mad at you um so yeah I guess I my curiosity knows no bounds you know <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm always curious about um I'm most curious about people that that are kind of like um not like neurotypical I guess they're the mm-hmm. people that I'm most curious about um, and like fascinated by, and um, the, the, the more I kind of do this work, the more I know that that's the area I'm kind of like moving towards all the time. So I just want to understand everyone, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could see the results like straight away, like when I, when I was using it with her. And when, when I came to actually train to be a therapist and that was the fir- one of the first things we learned is that a lot of people struggled with doing that in a way that was like authentic. It's like, mm-hmm. so what do I do? I just repeat back what they say. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> how does that help? You know, and I was kind of like, no, that's not what you're doing is you're actually like listening to the words like coming out and you're you're saying like, oh yeah, I hear them. I hear what you're saying. You, know? you could just as easily say, I hear you. could you? I mean, mm-hmm. that's what we say a lot of the time. Yeah, I hear you. But that's kind of a cliche, isn't it? Or as if I say to you, yeah, and repeat back what it is that you've said, you know, I have actually heard you. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, we read another book called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And that was also about that, just repeating back what your, mm-hmm. what your kids say. And yeah, it works so well with everyone. it does
1: yeah it really does and like i sometimes say because i i see a lot of students like um student therapists for their Mm -hmm. mandatory counseling hours and one of the things i say to them is like really that's all you really need to learn how to do (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. just be in a room with someone be yourself and listen and let them know that you're listening to them and actually it's been proved like by countless therapists is that anyone who does that will have the same effects like in terms of kind of like, um, like positive effects on people's mental health as like a trained psychotherapist. It's just, mm. You just need to let them know that you, you're listening and be with them. Mm.
0: <clears throat> yeah. It really doesn't come naturally for me, for sure. And <laughs> I'm always, I'm, I'm just so often in like such a hurry Uh, and there's, I think you've probably heard of that study. There's a study that says like of all things, like from being in a bad mood to having like bad things happen to you to all these different like variables on your mood. The one thing that like takes our compassion and, and, and kind of like morals and ethics away is like being in a rush. (laughs) Like have you heard of that study where they like have the, they have the, they have the, the people in like one room on campus and then they have them go to another room for the study. And then like en route to the other room, like some some person that they don't know as part of the study, like trips and falls or like has a heart attack in the middle of the hallway or something mm-hmm. like that. And like worse than anything, like than telling them bad news or anything, the one thing that made people like the least compassionate to like stop and help this person was just being told that they had to get to this other room Shit. in some time and some like hurry <laughs> or something
1: <laughs> that doesn't surprise me oh I haven't heard of that study but yeah, yeah. that doesn't surprise me so yeah. for me
0: like the number one step is yeah is slowing down if I wanted if I wanted if I want to just listen and repeat back just slow down there's no like hurry to get to these answers um and yeah it's so much better for our children when you give them a chance to get to them themselves
1: yeah yeah. and
0: they might come up with something better for sure
1: totally in fact i wanted to just tell you this like story that, of something that happened this week which i when i was reading this book i was like oh this is such an example is that that all those years that we were doing that we were kind of doing the the, the kind of like three steps and when we got to the invitation stage it was always like so how are we going to solve this and and often i like you say my ideas were slightly better than hers a lot of the time <laughs> hers weren't terribly realistic sometimes um and I hadn't really thought about this book for a long time until you asked me like for a recommendation. But the other day, she she's just started back like at school and um, the weather's pretty bad at the moment. And um, at times they've been asking the kids to go out into this covered area where there's a lot of kids and she's very reactive to sound. Um, she hates like a lot of noise, and mm-hmm. she she said she seemed really low, and I said like what's up? <laughs> you seem really low. What's up? And she said oh like lunch times like and uh, lunch times, and she said and there's so much noise and there's loads of kids, and I just want to be quiet. I want to be somewhere quiet at lunchtime, and I said oh, okay, and, like you want to be somewhere quiet. I said can you go to the library? She said no, I'm not allowed in the library. I said, Oh, are there any clubs you can go to? I said, No, I don't like clubs. And I was like, Shit, no. <laughs> this is a bummer. You know, let's think about this. I said, And I went away and I was kind of a little bit annoyed with the school. Fucking like, school, you know, why aren't they providing a quiet area for my kid? She came home from school the next day, happy, put her bag down. I said, Oh, you seem really cheerful. And she said, Yeah, she said, um, I thought about the library. And she said, I went to the library and I said, I said to the librarian, um, this library's kind of untidy do you need someone to help me help you tidy up and the librarian was like yeah maybe and she said so I'm spending my lunch times in the library now like tidying up the library (laughs) putting stickers on the books I was like what and she said yeah I get to eat my lunch there it's great I was like wow awesome amazing she just came up with that all by herself like that solution and like not only that but actually proactively went and asked for what she wanted and she mm-hmm. got what she wanted, and now she's really happy she has much time in the library
0: <laughs> Good yeah cool well, thanks for sharing that it, it, anything else about the book you want to you want to share
1: just just like anybody who um has like um conflict like with their kid where they're trying to resolve stuff and they're conscious of like get, getting into self-righteous mode which is something i know like even now is like getting to self-righteous mode because you notice yourself getting like triggered and angry around your kids you have a story of, i don't want to be triggered and angry i want to put boundaries in place it's like all of those things it's like this book is is so helpful with all of that stuff because it kind of it works in two ways so, like it works in a very pragmatic solution based kind of like way, like try these three steps and it will transform your life with your kid. But it also in a very subtle way, it kind of really gets you to look at the ways that you trigger yourself and it gets you to look at the ways that you create expectations and it gets you to look at um how you prioritize stuff. Like and exactly like you're saying, it gets you to think about your own childhood and think like, yeah, that was happening to me. And actually that was really frustrating for me. Um, And and also like my sense is one of the best ways i relate to my kid is is talking to her about like my childhood like telling her stories about what happened to me when i was being raised you know and that she really relates to those stories much more than she does like instructions Mm -hmm. solutions you know um and for that reason i think i mean it's one of those books i've recommended to 40 parents like over the years and oh, i actually bought several paper copies of it to give to people because i wasn't getting them back you know um and everyone i know who's read it has said the same thing it's like wow it's just so simple like why didn't i think of that and, mm-hmm. it's almost dumb yeah
0: well thank you again for recommending it um mm-hmm. and i'm i'm grateful for you doing it with with Fay. and yeah you want to again just reiterate that whether you're whether your child has special needs or gets more, more frustrated more often than normal or not. Um, yeah. This is just such, such a useful process. So thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, you've been listening to the radical parenting podcast. Uh, you can hear us on Denver open media radio, 92.9 FM, 89.3 HD three. You can uh, listen to us online. we're, we're now uh launching a new section of the radical honesty website for this podcast and for other radical parenting resources um so uh yeah please uh take a look at the links below we'll add a link to the book and a link to the lives in the balance um website and resources as well at lives uh so thank you for listening and we'll be back next week thank you laura it's good to see you and you all right